turn our attention this morning to Mark chapter 10 as we continue our series in the multicultural character of the kingdom of God. And in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is with his disciples, and Jesus has just told his disciples that he is going to go up to Jerusalem and he will be condemned, he will be mocked, spit upon, flogged, and he will be killed, and three days later he will rise. Immediately after saying that, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, come, up with, come to Jesus and ask him this question. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would send your spirit and open our hearts, minds, souls to your word and to the truth of your word. Lord, today as we deal with a, a difficult topic, a contentious topic in our culture, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, or that the things that are of you would be embedded deeply in our hearts, and the things that are not would fade away. So, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified, that we might reflect your love and your grace to this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Years ago, some feminists on the internet told me that I was privileged. A woman writing this was a self-proclaimed feminist activist. So when she writes, years ago, some feminists on the internet told me I was privileged. I responded, I'll paraphrase, are you crazy? I came from the kind of poor that people don't want to believe still exists in this country. Have you ever spent a frigid northern Illinois winter without heat or running water? I have. At 12 years old, were you making ramen noodles in a coffee maker with water that you fetched from a public bathroom? I was. Have you ever lived in a camper year-round and used a random relative's apartment as your mailing address? We did. Did you attend so many different elementary schools that you can only remember a quarter of their names? Welcome to my childhood. So when that feminist told me that I had white privilege, I told her that my white skin didn't do anything to prevent me from experiencing poverty. I believe something that is endemic to humankind 
as part of our human condition and human experience. It's a tendency within each one of us, indeed the natural bent within each one of us, to take for granted the things that we have going for us, to take for granted the blessings and at the same time to exalt our uniqueness in the struggles and challenges that we have faced, to exalt the obstacles that we have overcome. And we look at other people, we look at other people and what we see about them, how they project themselves and how well put together they are, and we look at them and we say, you know what, must have been nice. I wish I had their problems without even knowing them and knowing their story. We become envious of what we see in other people. We become envious of their position. We become envious of their privilege. We become envious of the blessings that they have in their life. But all of Scripture, but this passage in particular as we're looking at it today, turns the idea of privilege and blessing upside down. And it completely reverses our heart's inclination towards privilege and what Scripture calls us to do with it. I believe this passage exposes several different things about our heart. The first is the reality that we want privilege. We want power. We want authority. We want recognition. We want privilege. I mean, when I go to a restaurant, I don't want to wait. I I would like to go up, show up at a restaurant, and there be a table waiting for me. When I'm going to the airport, I would like to show up at the airport and have an escort take me past TSA and take me through the cattle herding that's lining up to get on the airplane so that I can go straight to my seat. When I go to the doctor's office, I would love to have privilege at the doctor's office. I would like to show up at the doctor's office and have the doctor waiting in the examining room for me for when I get there. And not sitting there for half an hour or hours, or as I was at Hopkins one time, waiting for eight hours before I saw the doctor at my appointment. And when there's annoying people in my life, when there's problems at work or other challenges, you know what? I would just like the privilege of having somebody else to deal with it. In fact, when I think about my life, you know, it's embarrassing, particularly when you examine my prayer life, it's embarrassing how much I pray for divine privilege in my life. How often I pray for it. You know, I, I, I pray, Lord, that you would make my life go smooth. You know, when I'm traveling, I pray that there would not be traffic, that it would go well, that there wouldn't be any stress, and that when you arrive, that there would be a parking space for me just to pull straight into. You know, I want my life, I pray, Lord, would you work my life so that my life just lines up perfectly, like a, like a well-oiled machine, that when I step into the room, it's kind of like um, a prince walking into a grand buffet, that all of, the, all the lids come off, all of the food, and the candles are lit as I walk into the room. I would love for the Lord to work my life, that wherever I step, things just worked, every direction that I go. We want privilege. And so when it comes to James and John, and the rather blunt question that they have here, I believe that James and John are just merely expressing from their heart what all of us want, is that we all want privilege. We all want divine privilege in particular. So James and John come up to Jesus and ask him this, teacher, I would have loved to have been there when this occurred, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I mean, they must have known how the answer to the question was going to go, which is why they try to lock Jesus into committing to it before they ask the question, right? You know, we want you to do for us whatever we ask for you. Lord, in, in all sincerity, we want you to do whatever we ask. Okay? 
And Jesus says to them, okay, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. It's that James and John have visions of themselves at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. That they would be the most privileged of all people on the face of the earth. That they would be exalted above all peoples, all powers, all of the other disciples. That when Jesus Christ overthrows his enemies and all the eyes of people of every tongue, tribe, and nation turn and gaze upon Jesus, that they would see us, James and John, at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus is what they're asking for. Unparalleled privilege, unparalleled recognition. And Jesus' response to them, is, in short, is, your desires are so out of line with the kingdom of God, it just simply can't be fulfilled. But isn't what the question that James and John ask, isn't their desire, isn't their request simply the yearning of our hearts? That we would have privilege, that we would have special access, that we don't have to deal with the things that everybody else deals with. Indeed, when you look at our world, you know, it's the, 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 the quest of every group. It's the quest to gain dominance, social dominance, social power. We're in the midst of an election cycle right now, right? And what is going on is you have your political parties and your special interest groups and your lobbyists who are all trying to get into the key positions to be president, to be in the key positions, to be the key elected officials. Why? Because they have this earnest desire to hear the opinions of all of their constituents? No, they have an earnest desire to leverage their privilege for their own interests and to leverage dominance for their own group of people and the people who got them into the position that they are currently in. And so throughout our world, there is this group quest for dominance, this group quest for, for, for privilege. I believe this is part of the reason why the issue of racial reconciliation is so contentious. is because it is perceived, and indeed sometimes it just flat out is, it is perceived and experienced as a quest for one racial group to exercise dominance and to gain dominance, to gain privilege over another racial group. That there would be the exaltation of one group at the sacrifice of another. And so when it comes to this issue of privilege... Many in the dominant culture feel that when terms of multiculturalism are discussed, that that is just simply an agenda for minority groups to dominate at the expense of others. And many in the dominant culture feel that they have, throughout their adult life, throughout their career, that they have been force-fed multiculturalism. And they've come to understand that, that they've come to understand or think that multiculturalism is just simply code word to promote unqualified people in a way that no one can object. At the same time, you know, actually, let me give you a personal example. I mean, in my own life, I lost a merit based scholarship to a girl who was a minority who was far less meritorious. She had worse grades, worse ex fewer extracurricular, fewer S worse SAT scores, and whose family made exponentially more money. Her dad was a cardiothoracic surgeon at Georgetown Hospital in Washington, D.C. Lost a merit-based scholarship on the basis of that. Other minority, minority friends said, that's just not right. And so multi the dominant culture hears multiculturalism as a code word 
for um, illegitimately advancing people who don't deserve to be advanced. But minority cultures, when they experience resistance to multiculturalism, what they, what they feel that that is is just simply the desire for the dominant culture to preserve their illegitimate dominance and to prevent qualified minorities from advancing and from achieving. And yes, many times in the brokenness of our world, and the brokenness of our society, both of these things are true. Yes, there is a worldly quest for power, a worldly quest for dominance, a worldly quest to exalt my group over another group, a worldly quest for social privilege. And unfortunately, the followers of Jesus are just as susceptible towards worldly lust for privilege as the most godless in our society. So I believe James and John just simply reveal what is in our hearts. Lord, give us whatever we ask. Lord, would you put me in the position of unparalleled privilege? I think that's what James and John reveal to us. But the reaction of the other disciples reveals something else about our hearts. It reveals that not only do we want privilege, but that we will fight for our privilege. And we will fight for the privilege that we have. Here is their response. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to him, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. The other disciples were indignant. Why were they upset? They didn't say, Oh, James and John, that's such a silly request. And if you want it anyway, it's no big deal to me. Why were they so upset? Why were they so angry? Why was there such a vehement response? Why were they indignant? Well, apparently they themselves had visions of greatness and privilege. Apparently they themselves wanted to be exalted. Or at the least, they didn't want anyone else to have more privilege than they themselves had. And Jesus takes this tension of both James and John and the other disciples who are indignant And he makes their desire akin to that of the Gentile, that would be the godless rulers, who use their privilege and use their position to lord it over other people. Here's what he said. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. What what do worldly people do? They use their position of privilege to advance their privilege. They use their power, their prestige, the blessings that they have in the world. They use them selfishly. They use their authority to subdue those who are under it so that they wouldn't attain to the same level of authority. They manipulate for their own advantage so that they can preserve their privilege and preserve their societal power. And unfortunately, we're no different. We become indignant like the disciples against anyone trying to gain privilege or position over us. You know, I think, you know, this aspect of fighting for our privileges and fighting for our positions, I think it's part of the reason why the term white privilege generates such an indignant reaction, such hostility, such vehemence. I think if you said... If you ask most white Christians and you said to them, hey, what blessings has God brought into your life because you're white? They would say, well, I've never really thought about that before, but let me think about it. And they probably would come up a couple with a couple. 
However, when the term white privilege is used, there is this reaction of indignation. I think there's several reasons for that, the way that it's used in our culture. It's because the term white privilege oftentimes carries the implication that somehow it's wrong to be white, that it's sinful to be white, that it's wrong to be, have blessings in your life, that if you're white that you need to have some sort of guilt for being white. I think the term carries the implication that, that, that white privilege carries the implication that, oh, that just means you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you haven't worked hard, you haven't earned it, you don't deserve it. I think for others, the reason why it calls indignation is because, you know, it does not address the aspects of how other racial groups are, have certain privileges and blessings, how other racial groups have certain privileges that white people are specifically excluded from. But it recalls this indignant response because the disciples, because we want to fight for our privilege, at least want to make sure no one else has any more than us. But the other thing about the disciples that I think exposes our heart is not only do we fight for our privilege and fight when someone else seems to be gaining on us, but there is this disregard and lack of understanding or taking for granted of the privileges we already possess. I mean, I feel kind of embarrassed for the disciples. You know, I mean, for any, all of them. Wasn't being a disciple of Jesus enough? I mean, being one of the 12 people in all eternity who got to accompany Jesus on the face of this earth, wasn't that enough? No. They want to be the privileged disciple, the disciple who's exalted above the other disciples. They take for granted all the blessings that they currently have, apparently are unaware of it, and at least that's irrelevant. You know, a different example, uh, Ted Turner, whose net assets are over a billion dollars or something like that, right? Turner was giving a speech, and he was asked about failure. And his response was, he says, well, I feel like a failure. And the interview was taken aback and said, how can you say that? He goes, well, I look at my wealth. I've got a billion dollars, but Warren Buffett, he's got three and a half billion dollars. I'm a total failure. And he started talking about how that sense of failure drove his life and motivated him. Why? Because what he had wasn't simply enough. So, too, for the disciples, being a disciple of Jesus wasn't simply enough. Let's go back to the trailer park. So, this feminist writer writes, so when that feminist told me that I had white privilege, I told her that my white skin didn't do anything to prevent me from experiencing poverty. She said that they then had a, was passed an essay by, a famous essay about white privilege, where the term originally comes from. And at the end of it, and at the end of the discussion, this is what she writes about her childhood of getting hot water from the public restroom and putting it into a coffee maker to make ramen noodles. She says this, It is now impossible to deny that being born with white skin in America affords people certain unearned privileges in life that people of another skin color simply are not afforded. And here are some of the ones that she identified from this article. I can, if I wish, arrange to be in the company of people of my own race most of the time. I can go shopping alone most of the time pretty well assured that I will not be followed or harassed. I can vocalize my opinions about racism without seeming self-interested or self-involved. I'm never asked to speak for all the people of my racial group. I can assume that my failure won't be attributed to my race. I can fight racism one day and forget about it the next. And I can walk into most classrooms and public settings and know that I won't be the only one of my race in that setting. 
And so in response to an issue that developed on campus, Moody, the president of Moody Bible College, Paul Nyquist, wrote an open letter. And in that letter, he wrote this, people who are white, such as myself, because we are the majority culture, often fail to understand the privileges we enjoy due to our skin color, for it is all we have ever known. Not that undifferent than disciples who are ungrateful for the privileges in their life. And then in a rather balanced article in the Washington Post, this definition of white privilege was given. White privilege is the idea that just by virtue of being white, a white person of any kind, you're part of the dominant group which tends to be respected, assumed the best of, and given the benefit of the doubt. That just isn't the case for people of other races, no matter how wealthy, how smart, or hardworking they might be. And for every one of us, there are blessings in our lives that God has bestowed upon us that we generally take for granted and don't see and don't acknowledge. Obviously, here talking about the blessings and the privileges that come along with being white. If you're unaware of those things because you've been swimming in a fishbowl and it's like you've been in part of the majority culture and that's all you've ever known, that's all you've ever breathed, that's all you've ever experienced, and you're unaware of those things, there's no fault in that, but you can educate yourself. And educate yourself what the, the privileges that God has given to you are. So, for example, here's a couple different ways to do this. Here's a couple books. Um, this one's recommended by Jill Sam. It's a book from InterVarsity Press called Being White. And she said that this was a book that helped her, helped her to appreciate and to thank God for her own whiteness. Another book, um, Let Justice Roll Down by John Perkins. He's an African-American man who grew up as a sharecropper in uh, the South. Uh, and it's his story, it's his autobiography of leaving that community, becoming a minister, and going back in order to um, seek racial reconciliation and the unity between the police force and the black community in rural Alabama. By the way, in this book, there is a member of our church that was present for several of the events that occurred in this book as well. Do you want some Maryland history? Um, two ways to get some more awareness. Also, this one would give an introduction into systemic issues in terms of what does the societal, societal issues look like and how does a society and a group exercise domination over another group. Um, for Maryland history would be Frederick Douglass, his two autobiographies as a child and as an adult. And if you read these ones, you will find some very embarrassing things said and done by people that we as Christians would identify as heroes of the faith and heroes of our faith. Um, and I'll also fill you in on some Maryland history. Another book to raise awareness for yourself is uh, the annotations on the letter that changed the world from a Birmingham jail. This is a book on Martin Luther King Jr. from Letter from a Birmingham Jail that he wrote to the clergy in the community. And what's interesting about this one is that he wrote this. Peter Lilbach is a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, and he annotated the letter. And so every phrase in the letter, he gave the historical context and the biblical reference that was pulled into this letter. Very remarkable document. If you read it, it's the one by Peter Lilbach that you want if you're going to go down that route. Why do we highlight these things? Because the, the Bible calls us not to fight for our privilege and not to pretend that our privileges don't exist, but rather what Scripture calls us to do is to lay down our privileges for the sake of the gospel. 
And Jesus gives a very harsh rebuke to his disciples, both James and John and the other disciples. He gives them a harsh rebuke for their quest for what he sees as worldly privilege and a quest for worldly power. He says to them, that's what the Gentile godless rulers do, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. Jesus gives this harsh rebuke. He says to them, you guys, you disciples of mine, you, the chosen twelve who have walked with me on the face of this earth, you do not understand. Because biblical greatness is a greatness that uses its power and authority in its position and blessing and privilege to serve others, that through service to others that you would seek to make them great. And Jesus doesn't miss his words, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And then he doubles down. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And the Greek word here translated for slave is very helpful. What it means is slave. It really does. And what does a slave have? doesn't have any rights. A slave exists for the service of others. And so that those that follow in Jesus are called to be a servant of all, no, a slave of all, to not pick and choose to whom you will give up your rights, pick and choose whom you would lay them down for, but you would give them up without exception for the sake of the gospel. That you would not just lay down your privileges to those that can reciprocate and help you advance, but you would lay down your privileges even to those who have nothing to offer. Why? Jesus gives us the answer, because he did so for you. For even the Son of Man. Imagine that. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For even the Son of Man. Was there any person who walked the face of this earth more privileged than Jesus Christ. I mean, he was God the Son, the one who was sinless, who never experienced any sort of personal brokenness, the one who had unhindered union with God the Father, who was able to work miracles, who had angels at his command. Was there anyone more privileged than Jesus? And yet, he declares that he came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. If it was not below Jesus to be the slave of all, it is certainly not below us either. And his example quiets all excuses that we might offer for living our lives in some service, some sort of self-serving manner. Because you have been bought. Jesus says that he gave his life as a ransom for many. Ransom here is not from what, what thieves do, but rather ransom being the idea from ancient economic life, that if there was a slave or a prisoner or a piece of forfeited land, that piece of forfeited land could be freed by a ransom. It could be set free by a purchase price. And what Jesus is declaring is that Jesus' own death is the price of liberation, that Jesus gives, uses all of his privileges to pay for our ransom, to buy us back, that we would be set free. That Jesus gave his life, he takes the hit for us, pays the price for us so that we could be set free and liberated. And when we truly grasp 
the ransom, that Jesus ransomed us, that we are not our own, but that we've been bought with a price, what happens is that your life should be filled with unimaginable gratitude and unimaginable joy. Joy that turns you to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and lay down your privileges so that you could serve and indeed be a slave to all in service of the gospel. It's a call for us that when we grasp this, that we would respond with gratitude and joy. You know, as Christians, for those of us here who are, Christians of all people on the face of the earth should be the most honest about the blessings and privileges in our lives. Of all people, we should be the most honest and most grateful for that. Because we know that all that I am and all that I have and all that I can do is holy and only a gift of God's grace. We know that everything about me, all the way that I can serve, my drive, my desire to work hard, my, acad- my education, my academic abilities, everything about me, the country I was born in, the family I was born in, the opportunities that were before me in that period of my life, everything about me is wholly an act of God's grace shown upon me. So if someone comes to me and says, you, as a white male, are privileged, I might not like the indignation or the attitude that comes with that statement, but I should be respond and say, you don't know the half of it. Yes, I am, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I was knit together in my mother's womb. That before the foundation of the world, that God had a story on my life that included who I am as a person, included this fleshly, white existence. And he has given me blessings upon blessings. He has given me spiritual blessings beyond measure. Like, I cannot begin to tell you how many privileges that I have in my life. As Christians, we above all people should thank the Lord for the privileges that God has given to us. And to use those privilege, every blessing that God has for us, to use those things in service to the gospel. And if your ethnicity is, affords you a privilege, that is a privilege that needs to be laid down for the gospel. Why? Because if you want to be a Christian, you need to lay down your claim on any worldly aspect any claim on self-exaltation, and come before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I come to you, Lord, empty-handed. I bring nothing to the table. And we need to forsake all else and lay those things down. I have no rights. I have no claims upon your grace. It is wholly and only because of you. And that is necessary. You must do that if you are to be included in Jesus' kingdom. And then, in response to what Christ has done, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called to lay down our privilege so that the gospel would advance, to use every blessing, every privilege in service of the gospel. And if that's your ethnicity, to lay that down in service to the gospel. A couple years ago, I was at a conference of CCDA, which is the Christian Community Development Association, and it was by far the most several thousand people, it was the most ethnically, denominationally diverse thing I have ever been a part of in my life. And the worship was so rich and and so wonderful. And we were in a breakout session in the seminar, and the question 
from the leader of it was asked, what do upper middle class white Christians have to offer? So I raised my hand and I said, white privilege. And everybody bust out laughing. But why not? If there are privileges that God has given because of your race, then yes, you need to use those in service to the gospel. Here's an example. When I was in St. Louis, um, there, was a, there was a man that was attending our church. His name was Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy was Italian. And Jimmy was uh, a very, a very, very dark-skinned Italian man. Uh, it annoyed him because people always kept asking him what he was, and he said, I'm an Italian. Um, and Jimmy lived in a very low-income apartment complex, a very low-income apartment complex and a very dangerous apartment complex. And Jimmy, his door on his apartment, he did not have a working lock on his door. Uh, none of the locks worked. And so we, he came to our, he was part of our community group, and he asked, he said, hey, would you pray for me? And my door doesn't work. I don't have a lock on my door. And we said, well, did you go to the apartment manager and ask to get a lock on your door? He said, yeah, I, I've gone by every week. I've written several letters, and I don't have a lock on my door. And we said, okay, well, we're going to pray about that. Comes back a week later, and he says, no. We said, hey, did you get your lock fixed? He said, no, I didn't get my lock fixed. And he said, actually, my door rotted off the hinges this week. Okay? The door literally rotted off the hinges. And we said, well, what do you what do? You do? And he says, well, I... I kind of prop it up as best I can, and then I shove my couch in front of it, and I just haven't been getting good night's sleeps because there's an open gap to the outside in my neighborhood, and it's a, really, it's a really dangerous place. And this was on Sunday, and I said, okay. I said, Jimmy, tomorrow morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you and talk to your, to your, to your apartment manager. He says, okay, let's go. It's not going to do anything. I said, fine. So I show up. I take Jimmy. We go down, knock, 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 figure out when the apartment manager's there, knock on the door. Um... Uh, the guy sees me, looks at me, sees Jimmy, and he says, come in and sit down. So I sit down, and I say, um, hey, this is, this is Jimmy. Um, Jimmy's one of your tenants here in your apartment complex. And he's like, yeah, I, I, I know, I, I know Jimmy. I'm like, okay, well, Jimmy and I go to church together. And um, we've been praying for Jimmy that he would be able to stay safe because he hasn't had a lock on his door. And his door has actually rotted off the hinges. And I've got pictures of this right here to show you if, if you don't believe it. And he's like, well, this is the first I have ever heard of that. Okay. I'm like, well, have you heard it now? Yeah. He's like, well, this is just, we don't have any, this is not the condition that any of our apartments are in at our place. And guess what? Four hours later, he had a brand new door with, two, with a new working lock on that. Why did that happen? It was because... I was a white, 24-year-old, uppity, snotty seminary student, right? And, and it wouldn't have worked if for an African-American to do it because the whole region was African-American. And there were lots of complaints that the African-Americans were making that were just getting ignored, unfortunately. And the thing is that when he saw me, even though I didn't have any wealth, I'm just, I'm just a dude. But when, the dude, when he saw me, what did he see? He saw someone with social power, and he saw someone who said, you know what, this guy can make my life really difficult really quickly. He can call the health department on me. He can file, he can, he, can, he knows how to establish to set a, a lien against our apartment complex. He can put me out of business. He can make my life really, really, really difficult really quickly, right? 
And so it happens. Four hours later, he gets a brand new door in his apartment complex. Why? Because I was an educated young white person was the sole reason. The gospel, we are called to use whatever privileges that we have in advancement of the gospel. Scripture calls us again and again to be a, to be a voice for the voiceless, to be an advocate for justice, to those who are oppressed to give them dignity and to bestow them, to those who are without social power to give them, to help them elevate them so that they can um, to, to, so that they're no longer, no longer oppressed and abused. Why? Because that's what God has done for you. That when you were in bondage to, to sin, when you had no hope in this world, Jesus Christ came down and laid down his privileges so that you could be set free. And that's why we're called to do that. Now, some may, as I say this, some may say, well, okay, if this is true for white people, is this true for other ethnicities? Well, yeah, it is. You know, last week I talked about how every culture has unique blessings expressed in its culture and unique brokenness expressed in its culture. Ways that the culture makes them wiser to the gospel and ways that the culture makes them blinder to the gospel. And so, yes, every person, every culture group, every people group needs to use whatever blessings God has given them for the furtherance of, his gospel, of the gospel. But we do need to acknowledge that there is a huge difference between someone of a different ethnicity or a minority group acknowledging their blessings and someone of the dominant culture for whom the whole world that everyone swims in is, a, is the dominant culture. And those of the dominant culture are particularly called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and lay down their privileges so that others might experience the blessing of the Lord. Now, having said that, let me give an example of what might be called minority privilege. An example of how that's used in furtherance of the gospel. Israel gave me permission to share this story. A couple years ago, InterVarsity at St. Mary's College, and Israel was called in to meet with a group of white administrators to tell them that they, were, that they needed to promote diversity. And in particular, the issue was that InterVarsity requires a statement of faith for their leaders and says if you're going to be a, a leader in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, you need to hold to basic Christian beliefs. And the school was saying to them, no, in the name of diversity, you need to get rid of your statement of faith so that anybody of any faith can become the leader of the Christian organization. This is actually happening across the country right now. And the reason why they're doing this is to promote diversity. And so they call, they bring Israel in to meet with this board of older white people. And they say, we're concerned about the way that InterVarsity does not promote diversity on campus. And that, that statement being made from old white people to a black man from Eritrea. The conversation was over before it began, right? And the Israel respondent says, well, help me understand the type of diversity that you're promoting. InterVarsity on, at St. Mary's is the largest student organization it is by far the most racially and ethnically diverse student organization of any group that you have on campus. What is your concern about us promoting diversity? Have a good day. And as Israel was telling me about this, and we were thanking, thanking the Lord for God's protection of our university, this is an issue across the country right now. There's universities on different issues right now. You know, I said to Israel, I said, you realize that a white man could have not have 
that would not have gone the same way if a white man were doing that and having that conversation. He said, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So praise the Lord, you know, for him recognizing, you know, and, and being a, a, a gospel witness to understand the, the blessings and privileges that God has given him and to lay those down for the advancement of the gospel. So what are we called to do? What should you do? One, simply, to begin with is to educate yourself. Encourage you to ask yourself, you know, we're about to think, celebrate Thanksgiving. You know, in the midst of that, ask yourself, what blessings has God given me because I'm white or black or Hispanic? What blessings has God given me because I'm a male or because I'm a female or because I was born in America or because I was born into this family? What blessings has God given me? And then once you acknowledge those blessings, thank God for them. Lord, thank God, thank you, Lord, for the privileges that you've given me. And then you ask the Lord the question, God, how can I use the privileges and blessings that you have given me for the advancement of the gospel, to show your character, to be a voice for the voiceless, to be an advocate for the oppressed. Lord, how can I use the blessings that you have given me so that I too would follow in the footsteps of Jesus and lay down my privilege so that others might know you? May we, may we reflect Jesus. May our lives be found in Jesus. And may we lay down our privileges and our blessings for the sake of the gospel. Pray with me. Father, we do pray that you would help us to understand and appreciate the privileges that we have. And Lord, that you would help us to use our privileges for the advancement of the gospel. Lord, that you would help us to celebrate and, and uh, I understand the way that your image is reflected in different people. The way that your character manifests itself in different people groups. And Lord, would you work that we would show your love and grace to people who are different from us. Lord, that people who are from New York would show love to people from Alabama. Lord, that black and white people would show love and grace to one another. That men and women would. Officers and enlisted. Affluent and economically impoverished. Married and unmarried. Divorced and those that have come from broken families. Lord, would you be the one thing that defines us? Would our identity be bound in you? And Lord, when we, when we see the privileges that you have given to us, Lord, would you fill us with joy and gratitude, knowing that it is just a small reminder that you, Lord, lay down all of your privileges so that we would be purchased, bought, ransomed, and liberated through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we follow in his footsteps. And Lord, would you use us in service to others for the sake of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.